This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the AMVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I am pleased to welcome back to the AmvaCast, Owen McShane from New York, who is now the Deputy Commissioner of the New York DMV. Owen, welcome back to the AmvaCast. Thanks for having me. The last time uh, you were on, however, we had to do it on our virtual technology. You were in your office, I was in my office, and it's so much nicer to actually be in person with you. Great. It's nice to see face-to-face like this. Yeah. Now, last time I made you talk about your career and your background, but today we're talking about something very specific that New York DMV has been focused on for years, but recently I think completed their annual revisit of a campaign to really fight the use of counterfeit IDs in the context of being used for underage drinking. Yes. So it was a, it's a campaign that, again, I said you've done regularly, but you recently completed a summer season focus of it. Correct. So let's go back to, you know, why it, you've determined for years it's so important for the New York DMV to engage so aggressively in, in this particular area. We know fighting counterfeit IDs is a, is a huge part of our community and there's lots of places we do it. But New York DMV has really focused in for many years on the improper use of counterfeit IDs for underage drinking. Give me the context to how the New York DMV has decided that's been a priority for you. Sure. It actually started as a, a side benefit of something else. When we were getting ready to issue a new driver's license document, we kicked off an underage enforcement detail at that time to see what the counterfeiters were doing. And we got our hands on the latest counterfeit documents. So we were able to design our card with that in mind. We were able to identify the features that were being compromised, the features that they were having a hard time with, and we modified our document accordingly. When we started doing the the enforcement, we actually started seeing immediate results in those areas as well, in terms of feedback from some of the bars, some of the venues, that it's had, had a very positive impact. So what we started doing is we started taking a look at it from a statewide perspective. Uh, We got information from our state Department of Criminal Justice Services and identified the last drink location of everyone under the age of 21 who got arrested for DWI, and we would start targeting those locations. So in the summer, we would see a lot of activity at some of the concert venues, Mm -hmm. including multiple fatalities of individuals under the age of 21 who were drinking at these locations and then driving home. So what we started doing is doing aggressive enforcements at these details, but at the same time, it's a balancing act. We don't want to be charging an individual with a felony or a misdemeanor. So we, came, we sat down with our DA's offices across the state and asked for what could work best. And we decided to do a combination of things. Everyone we catch, we take the document, we issue them a ticket, for improper use of of a counterfeit license. It's a vehicle and traffic law violation, but we hit them with DMV sanctions as well. So at a minimum, their driver's license gets suspended for 90 days up to one year. And we found that works as a fantastic deterrent and we have very few repeat customers. (laughs) Um, So 
across the state. We work with the local police, the DA's offices, and we just monitor activities. So when we see a spike in underage individuals getting arrested for DWI in a particular area, we'll crack down that way. Um, one of the venues that I was at this summer, our staff, we caught over 100 individuals in one night mm -hmm. using fake ID. We cited them, took the administrative action. One of the weird things we see, though, is over half the people we catch using a fake ID underage wind up becoming a victim of identity theft within a year. Huh. So most of the fake licenses we see right now, when you go online and you Google yeah. fake licenses, the servers where those orders are placed are in Eastern European countries, yeah. and a lot of it's being controlled by Russian organized crime. Mm -hmm. The documents themselves are being produced in China, um, Malaysia, Hong Kong, a variety of countries in the Pacific Rim and sent to, to the individuals. We try to order some of these documents on a regular basis, and we'll place an order, we'll have someone really young looking make the order or get some volunteers, and they'll come back and say, we want proof that you're not a cop. Please send us your real identity. Oh. And unfortunately, too many college students are really eager to get that fake ID. Sure. They, they take a quick picture, send it, and now you just gave your real identity over. Yeah. And we've seen cars purchased, houses purchased, credit cards open. Once they get that information, the real information, it's pretty valuable. Yeah. So there's a lot you just went through. I want to go back and un unpack each each piece of it. I want to start with where you started, which was realizing these security features that you could that you were seeing as a recurring piece that were easily counterfeited. That you went back and kind of made tighter in your actual document, to the degree you're allowed to talk about. Obviously, you're not going to divulge, you know, any kind of super secret or you know covert security features. But what can you share in terms of what you learned through that process about where there were vulnerabilities that needed to be strengthened that maybe others could learn from? So we identified the features that jurisdictions are using that were easily duplicated. Yeah. And a lot of it in the past was um, specific colors of UV okay. that became very commercially available. Other features that jurisdictions add, the counterfeiters are starting to mass produce it if they see it on a lot of documents. So what we do with the documents we get now is we regularly are in contact with the driver's license manufacturing companies mm -hmm. and we invite them to come and look at the counterfeits so they can see what the counterfeiters are doing so that they can amend their practices themselves. We share it with ICE, um, Homeland Security Forensic Lab as well, so they get an idea of what, they're, what we're seeing, and they also share with us what they see and some of the trends. Mm -hmm. We also reach out to some of the jurisdictions themselves. So we're at an AMVA meeting today. Yeah. Two of the jurisdictions this week reached out to me and asked me to share some of the current counterfeits that they that you're from getting their from state, their state, right? So they can look at it because they're preparing to do an RFP and they just want to see what can yeah. be counterfeited, what cannot, and any suggestions. Because the, I mean, I imagine the counterfeiters are they've gotten really good. I mean, it's and it's gotten easier for more people to easily counterfeit a license in, in a pretty believable, acceptable way. Correct. And it's not just kids. I mean, we saw a lot of individuals under the age of 21 who get fake IDs, but we're also seeing adults getting fake IDs and they're using it for benefit fraud, especially mm -hmm. during COVID. 
we saw multiple vehicles that were purchased with fake IDs because they can transmit data and I could make a license with your name and your address and my photo and I could walk into a dealership and walk away with the car and a couple months from now they'll be trying to chase you down to find out where, where you went with the car and why you're not making your car payments. So it really runs the whole gamut and the quality of the counterfeits that we're seeing is really improving. So one of the things we're doing is when we go out and do these enforcement details, we also provide training. We provide training to the frontline staff at some of the concert venues, some of the bars, on what to look for, some tricks of the trade. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it helps. And they're partnerships with us. So we get calls from bars when they start seeing new, new types of documents. We get calls from concert venues. And, you know, it, it has to work together to make this work. Yeah. So the partnerships really pay off. And let's talk a little bit more about that partnership and how the enforcement actually works. Because you, you made a comment about you try to trace back the trends on where these individuals are having that last underage beverage before getting into an unfortunate, you know, fatal or, or otherwise a crash relating to being an impaired driver. When you go in and approach, whether it's a concert venue or a bar, you know, I'd imagine they're... Part of their reaction might be, well, you know, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not serving anyone underage. Don't look here, right? How do you get past that and build that partnership to say, look, we're, we're not here to necessarily get you in trouble for having served someone underage. It's more about we know it's happening here, so how do we work together to prevent it happening again? Are you able to have that, or is that ever a challenging conversation? So when we reach out to the concert venues, a lot of them have that initial reluctance that you talked about. Yeah. When we come back and we show them some of the stats, it, it really impacts them. And when we offer to come in and, and train their frontline staff on what they should look for and how to look for, it helps them out as well. Um, we've had some venues who do not cooperate mm -hmm. and we have the ability to partner up with our state liquor association and go in there. Yeah. Um, last month in one of the college towns, we walked into a bar, there was 113 individuals in the bar. Six of them were over the age of 21 and oh they were gosh. all the employees. Oh my gosh. So the state liquor authority joined us on that venue and took administrative action against the bar. Um, so it really runs the gamut. A lot of bars that we encounter, they are genuinely doing the right thing. They're checking the documents. So if we can go there and give them some additional training on what to look for, it helps them out. And then there's some bars who really try to profit from the situation. Sure. Um, we've encountered a few that put a surcharge if you're under 21 to walk in and, and, and drink. Or they tell you if you're under 21, not to come in until midnight or 1230. Hmm. Uh, so you know, if they're compliant that way, the sanctions against the bar are usually much stiffer yeah. with our state liquor authority. So paint the picture for me of when you're doing this uh, enforcement. So at a concert, for example, uh, you're there next to the bar watching what's happening and then auditing a certain amount of, uh, you know, of, of buyers. How does that walk me through when you're actually on site? Who's involved and how that enforcement happens? So some of the large concert venues this summer, they would have 18,000 patrons at a facility. Right. And we would have investigators there in plain clothes. Sometimes we're working in conjunction with our state police or other agencies. And when we see individuals who look young going up and purchasing alcohol, 
we've provided tra initial training to the front end staff. If they see anything suspicious, they call us over and we deal with it right then and there. And we just ha try to attempt a, a conversation on this. And most, most of it's resolved pretty quickly, pretty quietly with tickets. Uh, every now and then you'll get somebody who gets very excited about it or is extremely intoxicated. Mm -hmm. um, we've encountered some individuals who are so intoxicated that we have to get them medical attention. Um, some are suffering from uh, alcohol poisoning. We had one 16-year-old one girl this summer who, when we had her evaluated by the EMTs, um, she was so intoxicated, they had to take her to the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it really runs the gamut. But in most of those cases, it sounds like, you know, the investigator will go up, pull the person to the side. It, yeah, you caught me. Yes. Give me my ticket and I'll be on my way. And it's most of them, when they're purchasing these fake IDs, they come in set to two. So we ask them for the sake of uh, second ID. And how, they, many they, actually, how many have it on them? Uh, more than half. Really? Yes. And usually their real identity, identity documents hidden somewhere. It's in their shoe. It's So we have some interesting places where they pull their other identity out of it. And, you know, overall it works well. We've seen a difference. There are some venues that annually, every year, they would have multiple individuals under the age of 21 who would attend these events and leave and get into fatal car crashes. Yeah. So the venues we're going to, we've seen that really diminish. That's good. And we've seen um, a change in just the overall number of DWIs whenever we do a crackdown in, in certain areas for individuals under the age of 21. Right. So part of our, our efforts here is really education. So we kind of spread the word as best we can. We partner with a lot of schools to give information to this to the students beforehand. And the venues themselves, they have a genuine interest in making sure their clientele is over the age of 21 yeah. or risk their license. Right. So yeah, they, they want to cooperate. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned the getting the actual identity of the person and the ticket and the DMV sanctions, obviously that's a pretty clean, clear process when the actual identity is a New York driver's license or identity card holder. Yeah. If that person is out of state, is how does that process work? I mean, you're still going to give them the ticket, but the New York DMV sanctions, do you know how does that work through the, the system if that actual person, even though they may have a counterfeit license from anywhere, who knows where it may be from, but their actual license is New Jersey, Connecticut, California. Um, we will suspend their privilege in New York okay. and a lot of states have similar statues, so they will pursue it So if it they're as part well. of the compacts, they could have the reciprocity in right. it. So you'll, you'll send it through the system the same way you would a speeding ticket yes. or any other conviction that, that would occur. Yes. Okay. And does it need to be adjudicated in this case? Um, we'll adjudicate it within the state. So the local court will handle the traffic ticket, um, generally a fine. I've had parents call my office to argue that they don't want their child suspended because it's inconvenient for them. Um, we hold the line with that. We give them a minimum option of a 90-day suspension. Um, if it goes to a hearing, it's generally a one-year revocation. So ultimately, um, we do get a lot of waivers to accept a 90-day upfront. But it's amazing to me the number of parents who will call 
attempt to pay give me a two thousand dollar fine i'd rather pay oh, the two thousand dollar fine than have to have. drive my kid around yes. yeah what so <laughs> that's why it really seems that once it once we do this in an area um it's very very few repeat customers that we encounter statewide and overall after we do it in a particular area we see a a big decline in younger kids going into the bars with fake ids the mm. word gets out yeah yeah and any sense that as this deterrence activity is happening that maybe the interest in getting one to begin with might be shifting the tide at all or are we still facing an uphill battle that it's just too easy to get online and get one of these it's too easy and there's a lot of people making money off it um when we order the documents we we routinely will identify sites we'll we'll try ordering documents just to see the quality that's being produced about 50 percent of them are just straight off ripoffs you submit your payment um you mail a money order in whatever the setup is and more than 50% of them, you never get a document. They just take your money oh, and wow. say thank you. Wow. So um, when you go now and you're looking at some of these sites, the college students are out actually evaluating placed order, never yeah, got we'll it. Yeah, give it a Google review. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we see a lot of reviews on Reddit, um, and it's just interesting. Um the whole variance with that. Mm. And when you're buying them, and you mentioned you know, some of the places ask for your actual identity to make sure you're not an authority. How do you, how do you handle that? Generally, we don't um, submit a real document, but we've tried it a few times with some of our federal partners. We'll, we'll have an identity established and we'll send it to them just to see what they're gonna do with it yeah. and try to monitor if it was run or checked. Yeah. or anything else there's any and has there ever been any ping back where we, we've seen a couple of pings so there's uh, a foreign potentially a foreign entity yes. that now has your not your actual identity but the one you've created yes. and they're trying to vet that against the database either a federal database or the state database correct and one of the things that they might do and that's what we've actually seen in some of these scenarios is they'll produce a new counterfeit document one of their people's photos on it and all your personal information mm-hmm. and you know walking into best buy walking into home depot uh, walking into a car dealership and walking away with a car yeah. is, is some of the results we've seen yeah. and is there any enforcement efforts as it relates to figuring out where these distributors are coming from and any attempt to be able to shut it down at the source or is it too complicated because it's out of the country and it's just outside of your jurisdiction when we first started doing this a lot of the documents were being produced domestically so we would interview the individuals it would lead back to a dorm room it would lead back to a house near a college and we'd find little production facilities now with most of these overseas we work with our federal partners to have the website shut down and our other federal partners, Customs, yeah. uh, HSI, Postal Inspectors, are looking for the incoming packages and are trying to intercept that as well. Yeah. So there is a, lo- a large number of these documents are intercepted as they come into the country. I imagine shutting down the actual operations could be like whack-a-mole, right? You shut down one website and they'll go do another one. They'll create another one just as fast as yeah. you're finishing the paperwork, the new website's out. Yeah. So. Believe it, and are I would assume that the federal partners that are intercepting them, whether it's you know when they're being smuggled in on an airplane or through some sort of shipment type 
process. Um, they're doing the same thing, sharing back with you and other states saying, hey, this is what we found. This is what the latest counterfeit New York license kind of looks like. Correct. And, and we just want to see what they're doing, how they're doing it, and stuff like that. The partnerships are the key here, and just sharing the data between you know the interested parties. What about partnering with the local enforcement when you're going in and doing the actual enforcement activities? Um, you mentioned you know you partner with say New York State Police and the venue. Is there ever a local? police department, sheriff's office, that's part of that mix? Correct. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been out with some of the local police departments around the capital region in New York. Um, we partner with the parks police at certain venues, some of the sheriff's departments. Mm -hmm. um, it depends what law enforcement agency is covering that venue. We'll, par we'll partner with them for the concerts. For the overall enforcement on the street, we'll work with the local agencies to make sure that they're aware, aware that we're out there and we do it as a joint effort. Yeah. Um, we're not looking for stats per se. If in some of the partnerships, um, the local agency will decide to write the tickets and you know help, help them mm -hmm. out with some numbers and stuff like that. You just wanna get, get those things off the street. Is we wanna get them way? off the street and we just wanna make sure, and we explain to the, to the individuals we encounter some of the vulnerabilities and we talk to them about by the way, did you get a request to share your license? Yeah, so did all my friends. Yeah, okay, like, well, yeah. you might want to put a, a fraud alert or something on your credit record. So we kind of guide them through the process. Yeah, are they shocked when they uh, hear that? They are. I mean, all they're focused on is they need something to get into the bar to hang out with their friends, yeah. and they're not thinking of the implications down the road. Now, New York, not like so many other states, but you know, probably because of the, the scope of it, you have among the largest urban areas, metropolitan areas, and some of the most rural type parts of, of the state. Any trends that you see, you know, in between, you know, from the most urban of activities in Manhattan underage drinking to the more rural parts of, of upstate? Are there any trends between those types of demographics? So New York City is its own uh, special dynamic. Um, we don't see a lot of teens or young under 21 year olds driving to bars in the new york city metro region a lot of them are, are, are taking mass transit and stuff like that unfortunately in some of the suburban areas in new york city long island westchester rockland it's more likely that they're going to be driving a car to one of these venues so we see a much higher rate of fatal crashes and overall dwi arrest in those areas because they need to get to the bar and there is no mass transit option especially at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, and since you're using those crashes as kind of the starting point of tracking the data back to where the last drink came from, does that mean you've done that enforcement in places like New York City is not as much on the radar because it's not necessarily the, the approach you've used to tie it to the traffic safety piece? Correct. So a lot of it, anyone who's arrested for a DWI in New York when they are being processed, they're asked of where they were drinking and that gets entered. So we focus on that for the 21 individuals, 21 and under, just to see the locations. And we'll see locations that'll pop up repeatedly and we might do an increased enforcement there. Yeah, so it's an interesting theme that, you know, that brings the campaign together, even though so much of our motor vehicle community is always talking about counterfeit identities and the security of the credential. Really, when you peel it away, that you, you're attacking the security of the credential and the counterfeit because of highway safety and saving lives. It's, I mean, they, you can't separate the two. It's not fighting counterfeits for the sake of counterfeits. Right. And it's not just a, 
you know, a, in addition to all the traditional highway safety campaigns we do, but you're really bringing the two components together and integrating them. Correct. And, and one of the benefits we're, we have because we're using it as a traffic safety initiative is that we can actually use our highway safety funds from NHTSA oh. to pay for the overtime. So all the overtime we expend on this is 100% grant, grant chargeable for our NHTSA grants. And um, any of the materials that we buy, we buy various types of authentication equipment, um, pocket magnifiers that we give out to bars and stuff yeah. with our contact information. All that can be charged back to the NHTSA grant. And the results are pretty impressive. We've had years where we'll catch thousands of documents. Mm. So you're providing sometimes not only, you know, lights and magnifiers to these venues. Do you provide them actual authentication equipment or is that something you bring in on the enforcement to help the on the ground team? We, we bring in um, our own equipment sometimes. So what we do is we'll have portable document verifiers that we can bring to the facilities. And some of them are similar to a toaster item. Um, so we have it in a Pelican case. You drop a license in within 10 seconds. It gives you a, a report on the screen if it's good, bad. It analyzes it in white light, UV, infrared. Mm -hmm. And it gives us an immediate alert. So if you're at a large venue, um, like a concert venue, where you have thousands of people coming through, you want to make sure that you're getting through it quickly. Yeah. And before we take any actions on, on anyone, we want to validate that it's not a, uh, a mistake. It's not a genuine document that was produced without a security mm -hmm. laminate. So we check with the issuing authority uh, via inlets just to make sure that document had never been issued. Interesting. So because I'm sure you do see sometimes um, both ways it happening with the authentication equipment. You might have a good credential, like you say, that you might think is bad because something happened in production, or sometimes the counterfeits are so good, it can once in a while fool Correct. the authentication equipment. So, and I guess that's maybe even a more vulnerable situation where you have a counterfeit that's full of the authentication equipment, um, but you only include the verification in the, in the other case, or are you always verifying before making that final decision? We're always verifying, so we'll have access on site to run the licenses to make sure. And we've seen some high quality counterfeits. We've seen some high quality counterfeits that are so high quality and such a superior document that we know it's not issued by the issuing authorities. So um, this is too good. It's too good to be true. So uh, it runs the whole gamut. So we we are very cautious with it, and you know we check and we get some unusual finds. We've I was at a concert venue this summer, and we had individuals from um, international visitors presenting passports. So trying to validate that a lot of the venues would not accept the passports um so it just really runs the whole surprises of of what you might encounter on one of these nights yeah. plus you're dealing with an age group of 18 to 21 year olds so we've encountered licenses that have gone through the wash half a dozen times <laughs> um that they leave on the dashboard of their car and it's melted in the sun right. you know so trying to authenticate the counterfeits to right. just... Uh, they probably take better care of their counterfeits than they do their actual credential. In many cases, they, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, last question I have for you, Owen, is if other jurisdictions 
wanted to consider taking up this type of enforcement and analytical campaign? The top three things you've learned over the years that you'd say, make sure you keep these three things in mind as you go down this this road would be? Um, partner with the other agencies who are involved. So we partner closely with our state liquor enforcement. We partner with our state criminal justice database to look at the data of the DWIs and just work with the agencies. So we hear a lot of feedback from local agencies, uh, local sheriff's departments, and they ask us to come out and we'll partner with them, we'll go out, mm -hmm. and sometimes we'll identify places that are not shutting, showing up on the radar otherwise. The locals really know what's best going on in their communities and they can, you know, if you partner with them and cooperate with them, it really pays off. Right. Well, Owen, thanks for spending some time with me today to chat about this effort in New York. Um, and thank you for what you're doing there. You know, like I said, bringing together both the saving lives and secure identities and safe drivers, all those pieces of what AMBA's about into this one very important campaign. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AMBACast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.